Well, good morning, church. I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. It's funny, this past week, everybody, everybody that I talked to said, oh, by the way, I am not going to be there on Sunday. So I did not know if there would be five of us in this room or what, but I'm glad that you are here. You know, over today and then into tomorrow, as, as you celebrate this Memorial Day, in between the burgers and the dogs and the cookouts and the pool parties, I would just encourage you to take a moment or two and remember those that gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we do enjoy in this country. As we get started this morning, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here this morning to look at your word, your words to us, may we not leave this conversation unchanged. And so we know that you are here, but I want to just call out my desire for us, my, my, my own prayer for us in this time is that each and every one of us would be open to what the Holy Spirit is going to say to us through this time, through your word this morning. And so may the Holy Spirit be, be raging fiercely among us. We give this time to you to be glorified through this conversation. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So over these last couple of weeks, we've been in this, this series that we've called Belonging, a series that is, is all about exploring what it looks like to, to belong to a church family. And we've learned that belonging is a gift. We've learned that belonging is about serving. We've learned that belonging is about unity. And this morning, all of those are going to to snowball. There's a momentum that has been building because today's conversation is that belonging is not about my preferences. Belonging is not about your preferences. And man, that is such an important conversation for us because you and I have to realize that this thing that we call the church, we have to know that the church is the primary means by which God is is on the move in the world today. That we are, as the church, as the body of Christ, that you and I are the primary means by which God is is on the move right here, right now, in 2017, in Mannheim and beyond. And if we understand that, and this is how I said it three weeks ago, That understanding will impact everything for us. That as we gather to worship together, as we serve together, as we love each other, as we scatter to be the church in our neighborhoods and in our schools and at our jobs and in our families, as we journey together in brokenness pursuing Jesus because he first pursued us, that impacts everything for us. If we understand that that the local church, that you and I are God's plan for sharing God's love to the world outside these walls and for sharing God's love here amongst us to each other inside these walls, 
that has to impact how you walk into this church family. And so the questions that I asked you three three weeks ago that we're going to spend time with today, those questions are these. Do you come to this church family to serve or to be served? Do you come to this church family to give or to get? Do you come to this church family to, to get your preferences satisfied or to die to your preferences? Do you come to this church family wanting to be first or do you come wanting to be last so that others might be first? And we have to realize that those things do not come naturally for us, right? Coming into this church family to serve and not be served, that is not the default of your very human heart. We have to recognize that that every one of us comes into this church family hardwired by our culture to be a consumer, and we have to push against that. Because our reality is, is, is that we all have preferences. When we walk through these doors, we all have preferences. Preferences around different types of music and styles and the classes that we offer and teaching styles. And believe me, because I hear it, right? That list goes on and on and on. But we have to ask ourselves, knowing that we all come into this church family with preferences, but what do we do with those preferences And most importantly, what does Jesus call us to do with our preferences? These are the questions that we're going to answer this morning. As we get started, I want you to watch a video. It's off of YouTube, and and the setup in the description says, Sick of your old, boring church? Find a new one that meets your needs. Stan, can we have the video? Previously on Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional. Hey guys, how we doing? Hey, good. Doing how are good. You? Doing good. So I know you didn't love the traditional vibe of the last place, okay? okay. But I think this church is really going to do it for you. Yeah. It takes relevance to a whole new level. Behind me, you will see molded clay, jar art, tapestry, canvas, mosaic church. Mm, I love it. Right? So you've heard of Mm interdenominational. And you've heard of Mm non-denominational. Well, this church identifies as interdenon-denominational. Wow, that's that's perfect for us. It It really is. But here's the kicker. A lot of celebrities go here. What? Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) We love him. We really do. Ben Higgins from ABC's The Bachelor. Perfect. Several Real Housewives. And... Usher even came here one time. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, well, follow me. Come on. Let's do it. So refreshing. Honestly, that last church was just way too traditional. It was yeah. too much. It was like we left there feeling convicted. Like, uh, ugh, right? Right. We're just, we're looking for more of a Tony Robbins type sermon. Like inspiration, like a TED Talk with a Bible verse. Yes. Oh, yes. Right? It's perfect here. We love it. It really is. We love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, you guys know a lot of contemporary pastors speak out of the Message Translation Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. Or this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. Shut up. We love Tumblr, though. This is great. A lot of emojis, a lot of abbreviations. Oh, I couldn't ask for one. And how many seats in here? Oh, it is 6,000 altogether. Babe, 6,000. I got to be in this worship band. Imagine me up on that jumbotron mid-guitar solo. Do you know how many Instagram likes you get? Oh, my gosh. 
We find it hard to find a church right now because I grew up Catholic. I grew up Baptist. So, so like, we, we drink. Yeah, but in private. I mean, obviously, you get it. Basically, in terms of, like, worship, I think we're looking for, like, a Jesus culture type feel. Oh, I right. love them. Hillsong, obviously. Oh, obviously, we do the cross? Hillsong's great. Like a Bethel minus the spontaneous yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just for me, I connect in worship more when the leader is attractive. Personally, I'm a Carrie Job guy. Well, she's married. Um, so is Christian Stanfield. Wow. So one of my personal favorite things about this church is the service times. Okay. There's an 8.30, a 10, a 1 o'clock, a 5.30, and even a 7 o'clock service. Oh, there's nothing around like 2-ish? Yeah, for us, for what we need, 2, 2.15 is best. Yes. Uh, how many songs do they do during worship? Usually five, five and a half, depending on where the spirit leads. Oh, wow, babe, is that, is that a lot? Well, if that's too much for you, they have a program here called the Worship Assist Program. Okay. So if you ever get tired during worship, an intern will come out and just hold your arms up. You just keep worshiping the King of Glory. Just like that. Wow. I love it. Oh, you can still look super spiritual. And my arms get so tired from yoga. Same. I actually like this church. I think we can make it work. It was all right. I mean, it was it was good. But pers- like, I emailed the pastor, and he didn't immediately respond. So uh, we're taking these vessels elsewhere. So there may have been one or two preferences in that video. That one's actually called Church Hunters 2. There's actually a Church Hunters 1 that is just as funny. Um, And it's that old traditional church that that you saw at the beginning of that clip. And surprise, surprise, that did not meet their needs either. So we all have preferences, right? Can we recognize that this morning? But the question is, what will we do with those preferences? A few moments ago, as we sang, we read out of of 1 Corinthians 13, where verse 5 says, Love does not demand its own way. So if preference has gone wrong, if preference has gone bad, if preference has gone wild, if that means insisting on and demanding our own way, what does Jesus call us to do with our preferences? Well, to see that this morning, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Verse 35 says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. So it's, it's great that James and John want to be close to Jesus, but this, this place of honor really is the place of, of, of power and influence, and that's the thing that James and John want. Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? See, Jesus knows that that, that his path to glory involves a cross, and that involves unimaginable suffering. And so these images of of a cup of suffering or, or a baptism of suffering, really images of being immersed in affliction. Verse 39, oh yes, they replied, we are able. These two say, Jesus, we got this. 
Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, right? Jesus, knowing what the future holds for these two, knows that these two will suffer for him. Verse 40, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now understand here that indignant does not mean mildly peeved, right? Indignant means that, that the, the 10 here were upset with a capital U. They were upset that James and John were power tripping. They were upset that James and John were calling dibs on this, on this place of power and influence. They were upset that James and John are insisting on demanding their own way at the expense of the others. Verse 42, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority and o- over those under them. So as the disciples are, are arguing amongst themselves, Jesus jumps into this conversation Right, the idea with these words here to, to, to lord it over and flaunt is that those in power in, in this culture, and the same goes in many cases in our culture as well, they use that power to not give but to get, to, to not serve but to be served. And let's recognize that you and I, that we are hardwired very much like James and John are. So what we're seeing here, it's true for James and John, it's true for you, it's true for me. James and John have to fight against the pull of their hearts, have to fight against the pull of the culture. Because James and John are just simply repeating what they know. And unless there is an outside influence to show them a better way, we simply repeat what we see around us, the predominant patterns of our culture. But verse 43 is a kicker, right? Jesus says, but among you it will be different. But among you, it will be different. So I've got it bold, and, and I guess it is the same size font on this slide, right? But this is where this passage gets good. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone Else. And so in these words, Jesus is bringing us to a crossroads. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in these verses, Jesus is presenting himself as, as our model for navigating life up against the default of our human hearts. Human hearts whose instinctual knee-jerk cry is, look out for number one. Jesus presents himself as, as our model for navigating life up against the predominant patterns of our culture that reinforces at every turn, look out for number one, pursue your agenda, pursue your goals, get your way, promote yourself, serve you. 
Stan, if I could have that next slide. But in Mark 10, 45, we see that the way of Jesus is different. Jesus tells us that there is a better way than than getting your own way at the expense of others. There is something that is far better than getting your preferences satisfied, and that is his way, the way of self-sacrifice, the way of serving others. So if preference has gone bad, preference has gone wrong, preference has gone wild, means insisting and demanding your own way. Jesus says to us, but among you, it will be different. Jesus, in this passage, is bringing us to a crossroads. And if we bring that crossroads into our conversation this morning, the question that we have to ask is, do you come to this church family, because really this is what preferences are, do you come to this church family to serve or to be served? And in this, this crossroads, right, these two ideas of, of to serve or to be served, these represent two very different ways of looking at the world. Because if I'm looking to serve me, right, my motivation is me and my goal is me. It's, it's, it's what I want, it's to get what I want. But if I'm serving others, my, my motivation is what Christ has done for me. Right, our motivation is Mark 10.45. Because Jesus has given his life for you, then, then how, how can you not, compelled by gratitude, how can you not use your life to serve others, even when it's painful, even when it hurts? Know that as Jesus has this conversation in Mark chapter 10, he knows that the cross is imminent. So the motivation to serve is Jesus and the goal is his glory that he might get the glory through your serving through your giving through your dying to your preferences Isaiah 43 7 and Ephesians 1 chapter 14 tell us that our main job description as people is to bring him honor is to bring him glory and so this morning, if you are here and you are not following Jesus, right, that motivation and that goal of serving others is not going to make a lick of sense to you. And so you will gravitate towards serving yourself. And if you're here this morning and you are not depending on, on Christ at every turn, you are not pursuing a relationship with him, you also will gravitate towards serving yourself. But no, to do that, to constantly insist on, demand on your own way, that ultimately leads to a dead end. I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, have had experiences with people that do life this way. Right? They, they have got to have their own way. And what do we do in response to that? If we can, we get as far away from them as, as, as is possible, right? You put lots of distance between you and that person. To choose to constantly demand one's own way is a self-isolating way in which to live because, honestly, nobody wants to be around that. It's ultimately a dead end. 
It's a dead end that, that at its most basic level, that demanding, that insisting on my own way, it's driven by fear. Because this life is hard. Life in this fallen world is tough. And while serving me, serving myself might seem like it's the safe thing to do, it comes from a fear that if I don't get my own way, if I don't drive my agenda, if I don't demand that my preferences get met, if I don't take care of me, no one else will. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is Mark 10:45 because Jesus did offer up his life as a ransom for you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to to constantly insist on demand your own way in order to take care of you, in order to get your preferences satisfied because if you are a believer, God has taken care of you. God is taking care of you in this moment and God will continue to take care of you point after point after point. God did send Jesus to take the penalty for your sins, to take away your guilt and your shame, that you might live in freedom, that you might live in forgiveness, that you might live in joy, that you might live in his unshakable security. And because as a son or a daughter of of the most high God, because the creator king of the universe is your daddy, you are free to be vulnerable with people, you are free to take risks with people, You are free to live on the edge for others to serve and not be served, to give and not get, to die to your preferences, to be last so that others can be first, and all because of Jesus giving his life as a ransom for you and for I. And because he did that, this is what God declares about us from his word. So I'm going to jump to to Romans chapter 8. And I know that I tend to go to Romans chapter 8 a lot, but it's a place that I personally run to often because I'm convinced that we constantly need to remind ourselves of who God declares that he is and who God declares us to be because our very human hearts so quickly forget. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31 If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 
as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so if we come full circle this morning, if we come back to those questions that I asked you a few moments ago, right? how, how will you answer these questions? Do you come to serve or be served? You come to give, you come to get. Do you come to have your, pro- your, your preferences satisfied or do you come to die to your preferences? Do you come to this church family to be first or to be last so that others might be first? How do you answer those questions? See, I, 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 can't, I can't answer those for you. But you have to know that you will never be able to answer those questions well unless you know. Unless you deep down in your bones know that you are ultimately secure in what God has done for you in Jesus. Because overwhelming victory is yours because of Christ. Because of Jesus, nothing can stand against you. Because of Jesus, nothing will ever separate you from God's love. Which means we don't have anything at all to fear. And this is the, the thing that frees us up to step out in boldness, to step out in courage, to serve others. Even when it scares us, even, even when it feels risky, This is what frees us up from from demanding that our preferences get satisfied, from from demanding and insisting on our own way. Because Jesus came to serve you and I, to give his life as a ransom for you and I. And the only response that makes sense to that kind of love is to give him control of your life. To die to yourself, to die to your rights, to die to your preferences, to invite God to have full control of you, to have full control in your life. And if you do that, he will move you to serve others. I want to end this morning by reading an article called Where Preferences Go to Die. And just a few short lines. It's written by Trillia Newbell. And she writes, The churches that I've attended haven't been perfect. We've had our, our fair share of problems. You know, when I experienced the tragedy of pain of miscarriages, church members were there encouraging my faith. When my first baby was born, they were there with food and sweet advice. When I started writing more frequently, they were there with Starbucks gift cards. 
They have loved and served me well. I'd like to think that I've done the same for them. The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels them. Members of a church community aren't always going to get along. It's probably safe to assume you've experienced this disagreement in some form. As we live real life together, conflict is inevitable. I've experienced this difficulty in past churches, but though we didn't always agree, the gospel always prevailed. Why attend a church that doesn't meet all your felt needs? Because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I go to church because God loves the church, and I want to love what God loves. God loves the church universal. God loves the church local. He loves the mega church, and he loves the little church that meets in a school. And he loves the church because it's composed of people, his people. On the cross, the Lord Jesus bore the wrath of his father to establish his blood-bought church. And you and I get to be a part of it.